episode 75, Podiatry Practice Consulting. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we are Tony Gavin of Osgo and Jonathan Small of Work Smarter, Not Harder. Perspective. Join 2017 Podcast Awards-nominated host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, as he gets a rarely seen look into the specialties of all types of doctors and guests, plus marketing, travel tips, struggles, goals, and relationship advice. Let's hear a doctor's perspective. Hey, everybody. By the time you hear this, I will have flown to America, attended the Forward-Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I look forward to being able to talk to y'all about what I learned. I've got a plan. We'll see if I can execute it to bring you the highlights afterwards. I got a special way that I want to do it. Hey, I've never really pushed hard to get reviews for this podcast. So what I'm asking, an incentive, write a review, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you listen to it, then screenshot it in and email it to me, justin at doctorsperspective.net. And I'm going to give away a prize. I'm a little, I'm not 100% sure what it's going to be yet. Maybe it'll be the, the acupuncture pin, the book, uh, maybe the first book, Today's Choices, Tomorrow's Health. Maybe it'll be uh, a t-shirt. But if you're going to send me a picture, maybe you can listen to me what you think you'd want. And that way, uh, if you win, then you can get it. I want to run this until the to June 26th, June 26th. So for two weeks, it's testimonial explosion with a giveaway. All right. But today's episode, we have podiatry consultants from the UK. We're going to answer questions about self-imposed limiting beliefs, common objections to reach your practice potential and why people might not want to choose consulting. Uh, how does repetition cause burnout? There's a special way. Uh, new video marketing tips and Facebook marketing, which is really cool. I thought that you had a, a, a great idea with that. Uh, handling the patient's expectations. Why is that so key? I think we know. We talk more about Osgo. It, it's not just the, the consulting part. It also has everything from like supplies and uh, procedures and um, all these things. And the reason why we talk about it near the end of the episode there's so many professions out there. I think, you know, we're like independent islands. And so it's able to uh, combine you to have better buying power, if you will. So really a cool thing there. Hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, there's a couple of spots where the internet got kind of goofy, but they don't last for more than like 10 seconds. And that only happens a few times. So I did my best to work around that. Everybody, show notes, a doctorsperspective.net slash seven five. Let's go. Hashtag behind the curtain. Live from China and Birmingham and Manchester, United Kingdom. That's right. Across the ponds, on both directions, we have a great podcast today. We have a podiatry specialty. We have one company that deals with like all the supplies and all the cleaning and all the, the stuff that you would have to have in a podiatry clinic. We also have Work Smarter, Not Harder, which is like the practice management side. You know I'm a chiropractor. You know we've been talking about that in the past, but today we get a whole new perspective on a whole new field of doctory. And so I'm super excited about this. Please welcome Tony Gavin and Jonathan Small. Hello. Nice to be here. Thanks for inviting us, Justin. Good. I'm, I'm excited. Well, let's just jump in because people are going to want to know Okay, one, you're, you're, you're not our usual guest in the same continent, the same country. So what is the brief overview of what y'all do? And then we'll go into some of the fun questions about marketing and finding clients and, and what you, you know, a little bit more into details. All so, right. Who wants to go well, first? Well, Jonathan, because he's been a, podi- a podiatrist for longer than I have. So I think he's probably best to give a, a picture on, on what podiatry is and where it came from here. 
Yeah, so so I'm uh, I'm known as a Dinopod because I've been in the uh, profession for a long time. It's over 30 years since I started uh, my training, and way back then I trained to be a chiropodist. Over time, that um, uh, that name's become changed and become a podiatrist, which is far more foot specialist. Uh, and it's really exciting to see with the way the profession has has grown and developed to help patients solve their their foot and ankle and gait problems. I was uh, I was quite fortunate. I got into the field of diabetic foot care uh, early days, and I was diabetic foot specialist for many years, uh, stopping patients who got ulcers or gangrene, trying to help them to, from being amputated. Um, I then moved into the field of gait and movement analysis, where we used computers to look at how people walked after strokes and head injuries, so rehabilitative process, and that was really exciting and interesting before I then focused on my uh, private practice. Um, I, I've, been, I've really enjoyed my private practice and now I've, I've moved into the area of actually sharing all that knowledge uh, around business and uh, particularly uh, developing the profession podiatry and valuing our worth, sharing that with everybody through the work smarter, not harder concepts. That is a wide scope of practice. I mean, like I said, 30 years, you've done what we'd expect you to do, and then you've gone into the specialty stuff. So looking forward to picking your brain on that, that's for sure. Wow. What about Osgo? Okay, so so my journey's been a little bit different because I um, I came to podiatry as a, as a second career. So I was nearly 30 years old when I went and trained. Um, so I'd run businesses before. I came from a business background. And... When I qualified, I went straight to private practice because the world had changed a little bit from when Jonathan qualified in 1847. <laughs> <laughs> and the main changes were around um, NHS provision because, of course, we have the National Health Service here in the UK, but we still have it, unfortunately, right. um, what's left of it. So it was, it was very different 20, 30 years ago than what it is today. So huge number of podiatrists finding themselves leaving the NHS as NHS provision of care changes and finding themselves working in the private arena because of course those patients still exist they, they're still out there and have needs and demands and, and a lot of them are seeking treatment through kind of private kind of avenues really so I came out and I went straight to private practice and I suppose I had some advantages having run a few large businesses prior to that I had quite a bit of experience of marketing, managing risk, systemizing, employing people and, and doing all the things that created a business quite quickly, um, which is a little bit different to a lot of podiatrists. A lot of podiatrists find themselves as almost, call it, accidental business owners. They didn't set out to become a business owner. They set out to become a care provider and they find themselves one day owning a business and they almost think, how, how did this happen? Um, which is really an, an unusual place to be because... As a podiatrist, the income is reasonably strong. Even without great business acumen, your business will survive. Um, and that's almost worse than it failing because it can survive in quite a painful place where it's not delivering for you, it's not delivering for your patients. And I think in the UK, we have a large number of practices which aren't, aren't fulfilling all of the things that they can for themselves and for their patients. And, and I think that's something that I was always quite passionate about that as a profession, we should really have quite sophisticated network of private practices that can support the profession and deliver the highest standards of care. So my first follow-up would be, you, do they still have a choice to work in the national system versus just in the private practice? So 
If it's covered by the national system, I'm surprised that you're allowed to go private. Yeah, so so the um, the NHS can't cover everything. Um, they they just not enough funds to cover everything. So uh, so that over the years, from being a fairly comprehensive system when I first qualified, it's just got filtered down more and more and more. So the only things you can really access are if you've got very at risk feet foot problems. So the at risk diabetics. In some areas, there's musculoskeletal services um, and nail surgery is, is something that seems to have survived as well. But the rest of podiatry is, uh, is not available on the NHS. Um, that's where the private practice can pick up. But also the, um, the private practices are becoming um, more involved in the management of all patients, including the at-risk diabetics, including the musculoskeletal problems now. Oh, man. So someone comes in with a plantar fasciitis, you're probably going to have to go private. But if you got an ulcer that's been festering in for a couple of weeks, you can probably still get it covered. That's the- right. And we, we, have, um, we have guidelines. There's NHS guidelines that we have to follow, which says that they should be referred into a multidisciplinary team if they're an at-risk foot in, in danger of being amputated, basically. Okay. Well, that could be good, too, because if you're in private practice, you might be niching down and like, I don't want to deal yeah, with that stuff right. anymore. I'm not trying to amputate feet and save it like, into that level. I just want to do the other. That's absolutely right. He's trying to protect the public. Yeah. So when we're talking about business practices and, and do you help with these are the niches that you should go into or this is how you train your staff and how you run a business to be profitable. So you're not just like you said, flopping around like i kind of make money but it's really stressful and if i take a vacation well good luck for making payroll this month yeah yeah so we we kind of look at all of those things but we find there's there's normally a core to it and the core is always people's mindsets because ultimately every podiatry practice should look different they 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 shouldn't all look the same because we're all different practitioners with a different skill set with something different to offer so they should be diverse in that way um the thing that we find that kind of stops people achieving all the things they can is usually the conversations they have with themselves or the kind of the, the self-imposed beliefs or the beliefs that you get as a community by speaking to each other around what podiatry should look like. So we, we really do try to get people to explore their ambition and to try and remove some of those obstacles to let them get to where they could potentially be. So, yes. yeah, there are some tactics involved in there a lot of the time, but they change depending mm-hmm. on the person. So it's much more looking at the strategies, really. So a kind of a higher level view on things. And, and, and very, very, very much for them to fulfill their potential, isn't it? To see them grow and transform. I had talked to a podiatrist, two different kinds one time, and, and one was like, I could do some surgeries. I could. But I could also do like 10 nail clippings and make more money and have less... <laughs> stress and less uh you know the setup before and after and all that stuff and I, it was a really surprising i was like oh okay cool i like this guy's style and then you know he talks to someone else and like oh no i do all the surgeries and all this other stuff and i was like wow that's the two different camps that you have to be able to navigate mm-hmm. when you're coaching a yeah, client for, for, for me in my in my practice i love the diversity of the patient groups yes um i wouldn't want to be doing the same thing every day um, you know, the same treating the same conditions. It's great that we, within our profession, we can do so much. Um, and in, when you run your own business, you get the choice. It's your business. You decide what you want to do, what, who you want to see. When you're doing gait analysis, it sounds to me you're, you're, you're going into more like the physical therapy side of things. So that is within the scope to 
to handle that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tony's clinic, he's got a fully functional gate lab up there, um, which, is a, which is a fantastic thing that he developed at his clinic before he went into OSCO. Yeah, so we work with uh, physiotherapists, work in the practice as well, and podiatrists. So we have a multidisciplinary team. So, so yeah, the scope of practice is is really diverse because if it's if it is affecting the foot or its associated structures, then we get involved. So that can be anything from MSK. It can be vascular. It can be neurological. It can be um, dermatology. It can be anything associated with the foot, and each practitioner tends to have their own preference of where they like to spend the majority of their time. But we have to have a competency in each of those areas to maintain our registration and, and our professional development to keep us up to speed so that whatever walks in the door, we can deal with first line of care and make sure the referrals are appropriate and we don't miss any of the, um, the screaming stuff that we, we get to it straight away. So so it is really quite a, a wide scope of practice that we have over here in the UK. And We've recently got um, the ability to go for independent prescribers. Um, a load of us have access to um, a range of prescription-only medicines. Um, we use local anesthetics in practice. So, so we do have quite a wide scope of practice. That's pretty wild. And you do have to be good at all of it because you're a doctor. So that's pretty wild. I mean, that as a, you know, as a chiropractor, we're dealing with a lot of the MSK and, and different things, and we're responsible, but we don't have to treat it. Yeah. <laughs> we're just like, oh recognize it time for you to go to the dermatologist well, yeah. the, the one thing is we, we're not actually doctors justin we uh, we only train uh, in the foot and its related pathologies we're not trained as as fully fledged doctors but with the introduction of uh independent prescribing we'll have have the same prescribing rights as doctors as long as it's in the treatment of the foot and its related problems so you guys aren't do- considered doctors no. in the uk no no, no. okay so Wow. And this is a cultural huh. thing. It depends which country you go to, really, as to whether or not you you, you get that title of doctor, really. Um, so in the UK, it's either medical doctor or PhD. Otherwise, don't go near the name doctor, I think is. Oh, OK. Yeah, yeah. So even like chiropractors are just chiropractors in the UK. Yeah, some people do. Use, some chiropractors do use the doctor um, reference, don't they? But I, I, it's not what's recognized as being a doctor in this country. Okay. Yeah. Acupuncture in America is like that too. Depending on like, there's a couple of states where you can say I'm a doctor and then the rest of you like, I'm a licensed acupuncturist. You're like, okay, but technically you've been to school for like nine years. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. It's a three year, it's a three year degree course to get you to your basic. And then it's all your postgraduate study and uh, experience that really matter. All right. Sounds great. (laughs) Well, let's, let's kind of switch gears. When you're, when you're having a bunch of uh, clients and they're looking for you for wisdom and how do I take my stuff to the next level, there's always like, there's roadblocks. Take a few minutes and whoever wants to go first, what are your top three client struggles that you just have to break through? Yeah, so from, from the one that I hear all the time is that they haven't got the time to make the changes and they haven't got the, and they can't um, get away from portraying their own money values onto their clients so so they'll judge their own worth yeah um but through the eyes of what their clients are think well, what they think their clients are thinking not actually what their clients are thinking mm-hmm. but they're valuing the solution that we provide generally at a much lower level than it's worth to the client and what 
how do you overcome that? <laughs> uh, we just keep plugging away, don't we, Tony? <laughs> we do. It's different with every person. Um, it's something you have to internalize, and it seems to be a different key for the lock for each person that you speak to. We can all sit down in a in a group format and have the conversation and recognize and understand, but it seems to become internalized at different points for different people. I think usually the biggest trigger is once they've had the courage to execute and to make a move to do it, to make a change in their practice. And when they see someone accept it and not question it, that seems to be the real light bulb moment for people, doesn't it, Jonathan? I think, yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. They, 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 once, they, once they see that they can make those changes and they see it working, it, it's like, oh, I've been blocking my business for all this time and now I, I've seen the light and I can make, make the difference to my business now. And, and, they, and they end up on a, on a path that they didn't imagine they could be on. But once it, it's a bit... Uh, this sheep mentality, isn't it? We, we tend to follow the pack. That's what we do as humans, yeah? But, but actually, if, yeah. If, a, if a sheep went off in the what, different direction, a few sheep would still follow, follow that pack going off, yeah? And that's kind of what we do. Right. And that, that's what's interesting. We, we have to get permission sometimes, like permission to ourselves, and somebody has to give us permission that, hey, you can a, either charge more money or you can provide these services that might be higher dollar, and you're going to exclude some people. And also, I think a lot of times we put it, on, like you said, I think we put it onto the patient. There's no way they can afford mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. You're like, well, just because you can't afford, you know, because sometimes you can't afford the stuff that you, you know, if you're that part of practice, you're like, I can't afford even the services that I'm offering. Mm-hmm. Like, would I, if, if I was a reverse role, could I do it? And if you're in that spot, that's a big mental hurdle that you have to cross. I mean... Y'all see that at all? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you it's because you hear it from the patient so often. Uh, so it, it you you then think that's your belief in it as well because you're hearing it all the time for patients. But that's all where where, where what we cover with the work smarter not harder. It's saying okay, maybe you need to change the type of patients that you're engaging with so they're not always devaluing what you do and 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 lowering your worth. Because when you engage with the right patients who value what you do, then suddenly it's a very different conversation in your head. How do people go about doing that? So, so that's very much to do with attracting what we call their awesome patients. Now, awesome patients are different for everybody. Um, and, uh, and so it's really focusing their marketing towards their awesome patients. So they attract those, those sort of uh, clients to their business, the ones that have got problems for, for me, it's ones that have got problems that other people haven't been able to fix, yeah? And so they're in a bit of desperation. They really are motivated to get it sorted, uh, and they come to me, and I, I can fix it for them. That That's a really important message. And that's a message that Osgo really has embraced because they've taken on board uh, the Pods Fix Feet campaign that I'm sure Tony will t- tell us about. Absolutely. I, I, I think as podiatrists, we... We do so much palliative care. We do so much routine care of patients that we can very easily start to see what we do as a technical function, um, which is a burden, a financial burden to a patient. When genuinely, the real magic in what we can do is in fixing people's problems and, and giving them a solution to overcome a problem and, and not need us anymore, hopefully, a lot of the time. And yeah. I, I think... I think taking our focus much more towards that place really does escalate our value in in every sense, genuinely. And it also allows us to become much more engaged with our profession again, because 
I believe the quickest route to becoming disengaged is by repetition um, because we all switch off with repetition and you know you can't be in a place of repetition when you're looking after someone's health and really looking for solutions in fixing problems for the long term for a patient gets you in a, in a very different place and and that's a different value proposition. It's a different conversation with the patient, which is no longer about the pound or the dollar value of it. It's about the, the, the benefit to that person's life and the pound or dollar spent will disappear from their memory very, very quickly if you can help get a solution to their problem. But if they're coming to see you every so many weeks for routine palliative care, then, then the focus very much is on the pounds being spent. It seems like there's always that value you have to provide, like, especially in chiropractic. We're talking about, you know, headache relief, sciatica relief, and you can sell that. But if you're just a pain clinic, that could become you got a, a running, you got a problem. Or you always got to try to find those new patients. It's just a revolving door. So you have to explain to them it's about function. Like we might get you out of pain in four or five visits, but it might take double that if we're trying to, you know, teach you how to prevent your headaches from coming back. Or, you know, where you don't have to see me as often or the biggest one. And let me know if this is true. Let's get you back on the track. Let's get you to where you can walk, I don't know, 20 yards or 100 meters without feeling pain or needing a walker or something like so, that. So here's, Those are the here's goals. Here's a story, Justin. So many years ago when I started up my private practice, I, I went in with the approach of fixing patients. I didn't want to keep seeing them for the rest of their life. I wanted to get them better and, and let them move on. Yeah. Um, and, and I took this approach yeah. and I was issuing um, tools to help them to, to, to cope with their own foot problems. Yeah. And I got criticized by colleagues around me telling me my business model wouldn't work. Um, that that was a way for you not to have a successful business. You needed them to keep coming back every eight weeks for the rest of their lives in order to succeed. So I just ignored that advice and I just carried on building my business the way that I, I did. And I have a fantastic following of patients um, and recommendations coming out my ears was they, because they're patients who want to be fixed. So apparently most professions have this. Everybody wants to figure out how do we get people to come back infinity. Yeah. We can't say every week because that would just be unethical. But every eight weeks, yeah. that's a good time. Every month's a good time. Every six months is a good time. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, go on, Tony. I was going to say, I think it's an illusion. It's a short-term illusion. It's like um, it's like junk food. It's something that, that you can kind of very quickly get addicted to and crave and think that it's satiating you. But it doesn't. It's, it, there isn't maximum value there in dealing with those short-term return problems truly genuinely finding the the root cause of something or getting a solution for a patient and discharging them you have someone out there who is going to be an active recruiter bringing other foot problems to your practice for you it's engaging work it's much higher value work and it's it puts you in a very different cycle of treatment with patients which is i've yet to see a practitioner working in that environment who isn't fully engaged and enjoying it but you see plenty of practitioners in the other environment who they get burnt out and they get quite disillusioned and they feel devalued all of the time. Yeah, t Tony's forever saying to me about me taking a, a step back from my clinical practice um, and, and concentrating more on the on the coaching, the work smarter, not harder, the, the, doing all that stuff. And I said, but I really enjoy my clinical practice because every day I'm solving people's problems. I'm getting the positive stroke from them, of achieving that for them. They're recommending me to their family, their friends or whatever. And, and it's a fantastic cycle for me. I'm not getting stuck in a rut. Give us one tip that you might have to help us increase referrals. 
Um, yeah, so, so for me, it's very much uh, managing your patient expectations um, so, that, so that you're listening to what they're after and you're delivering upon those expectations. Then they'll sing your praises. Does that mean you actually have to ask them what they're looking for in treatment? Absolutely. What, 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 is, what is the outcome that they've turned up for? Yeah. Is, is it to be out of pain? Is it for an aesthetic appearance? Is it um, to, so they can go dancing on Saturday night, putting on their nice shoes, whatever, whatever it is they're after. And then you, you focus your solution to deliver on that problem for them. So you actually encourage your clients to ask these questions, get to the deeper meaning, the deeper why they're here. Yeah. And then when you're delivering a, well, I don't know what y'all call it, but we call it a report of findings. Like, this is what we can do to take care of you. It's not, it's always trying to go back to whatever it is that they said, that emotional component. Exactly, absolutely. And if you tap into that, they're then going to buy into you as well. Yeah, they're going to have confidence that you've listened to them. They want to know that you care before they care what you know. That's the important message. That's a true statement. What do you got, Tony? Anything for I, us? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the biggest resource is in asking your patients for referrals. I'm directly asking them. <gasps> absolutely. I'm telling them um, that, you know, if they're delighted with the treatment they've had and the service, that you'd be equally delighted if they would share that with other people who have foot problems. Because I let them know that most of your work comes from recommendations and referrals. And that's what you live or die by. Um, and let them understand that that's why you deliver what you do, because it's on the value you provide, the service you provide. And when patients have had a truly spectacular experience and they've had a request for you to, to go and do that, I found that to be a really powerful tool in bringing other people to the practice. But I'm afraid they're going to reject me and say that nobody, that they're not going to want to refer anyone. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on how much you've delighted your patients in the first place and if you've solved their problems. And, you know, we get a really good measure of that. Obviously, there's some patients who you wouldn't ask for referrals because we don't always get great <laughs> outcomes. And we don't always get the best match of patient to practitioner. You know, maybe maybe some patients would do better with a different practitioner. That happens. That's real life, isn't it? But those patients who are genuinely pleased with the treatment and, and they're not shy in letting you know, are they? You know, we know those patients who are genuinely pleased with the outcome. Ask them and say to them, look, I would really appreciate it if you were let anyone know who has problems like this that, that I solved it for you because that's what my business survives on. I would really appreciate it. And I found that just as part of a normal conversation has been a really powerful tool for bringing lots of people into the practice. I think also ask, asking the patients, maybe you haven't fulfilled their expectations, what more you could have done to, to achieve that for them. That's a big one. That takes a lot of uh, uh, pride reduction. That's probably a better word for it on your end to, to admit that, hey, we didn't quite get you where you wanted to go. So what do we do about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. But it's only through doing this reflective practice and improving ourselves that we'll actually be able to uh, deliver even better for our patients. Yeah, and I, I, think it's, I think it's dead right because we all crave certainty, don't we? Patients in particular crave certainty. And we can't provide them certainty of outcome, except for maybe a couple of procedures we do, which we can be pretty certain what the outcome is going to be. A lot of the time, we can't be certain about the outcome, but we've got to give them certainty in our approach and our diligence and in how much we care about doing the best we can for them. And demonstrating certainty in those areas, it takes away the pressure of a clinical outcome. And that can then allow you to have that relationship that's, you know, that's really secure and and doing the best thing for the patient. 
Yeah, they're not. They're not looking for. They're not looking for us to be perfect. They're just looking for us to do the best for them. Yeah, we've all had those clients where you're like, I just, I can't get you to a zero. You know, we're not going to get there. But you were a seven. You're now a three. If you're not happy with that, I guess we can refer you out. But there's ways that we can keep you at a three. Yeah, and keep you back. And and very often those threes are held there because of their own lifestyle choices rather than what you're not doing. Yeah, that you could get them to a one or a zero if they were more engaged in their own care plan. Well, one thing I like to tell sometimes is, guys, the reason why you have this problem is usually because of the job. So unless you're changing your job or changing your hobby, you're going to recreate the same issue because that's what you've been doing for seven hours a day. Absolutely. Yeah. Are there anything that we should as a consumer since I'm not a podiatrist and luckily I don't, I haven't had a need, like, I don't even know if I should go see one just for, just for kicks. For, let's put it that way. I'm like, I don't have a foot issue, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, what kind of questions should we be asking to not be taken advantage of and to make sure that we have a responsible, ethical podiatrist that's going to do the best for us and not just what's best for them? I think, is there yeah, anything I th- like that? I think very much the, the internet's really changed this, hasn't it? Because the access to reviews just means that they get that oh. answered straight away, doesn't it? They can read what the reviews say in a, a whole range of situations um, and, and reflective practice on, um, on the individual podiatrist. Um, so, so really, uh, they, they could ask the question, but actually they could just go and look it up and see if they liked what the review said about the podiatrist. Yes, I would. I would also say to look for a podiatrist who is flexible in their approach. That it suits the person who's coming to to have treatment. Um, I, I think quite often people's expectations don't get met, and they can feel um, that they haven't had good value when they get a cookie cutter approach. When everyone gets exactly the same treatment time, everyone is charged exactly the same fee, everyone goes through the exact same process. So I think an understanding that there is a first appointment, which is going to perhaps take a bit more time, where there's going to be that time for digging around and finding out exactly what it is that's needed and the appropriate assessments are going to be done. I think that's probably a really good indicator as to where treatment's going to go. Um, Otherwise, perhaps it could end up down that cookie cutter approach. And if you're a patient who's like, I really don't want my foot cut on, maybe you should probably not go to the the place that's called foot and ankle surgery specialist, yeah. like maybe try to find the one that has more like a rehab <laughs> title in their name or just ask that kind of question if you don't want the surgeries. If you can yeah, avoid perhaps, it. but do you know, I, I, between us, we know quite a few foot and ankle surgeons. And um, I think that they, they are not always so quick to pick up the blade. I think, you know, the really great ones are, are superb at finding out exactly what it is that the patient wants and taking them on a journey there. And and with any healthcare practitioner, whatever field you're in, the magic happens when you're not with the patient. It's your ability to have an influence on their lifestyle and behavior and choices that they make. And sometimes, you know, a surgeon is the best person to do that, having seen the outcomes of surgery so often. Um, so I, I think there's plenty of surgeons who, who don't don't reach straight for the knife. Um, likewise, there are plenty of non-surgeons who refer for surgery quite quickly. So, so I don't know if that is the indicator, really. I think it comes back to those people who are willing to ask the questions, have the conversation, and, and, and help as a partnership pick the right way forward for the patient. 
Yeah, we talk about the patient experience on Work Smarter, Not Harder, and that's really important that, that it's a, a nice experience for the patient to, for them to come in. They've got to have confidence in you. So, so today I've, I've had a patient who had, had been to another podiatrist only two weeks ago, and, uh, and I said, so ask them how it was for them, and, and they just said they just didn't feel confident in that podiatrist approach. Yeah, And, and it didn't take me long in, in the assessment to just show my value and worth because I just picked up some, she, they got some tissue damage from a sprain from years ago. And, and during the assessment, I picked that up and I said, had you badly sprained your ankle? And they went, you've found that already. And the other podiatrist obviously hadn't spotted that, hadn't found that. And immediately, you, by taking your time in the assessment, listening to the patient, engaging with them, doing a thorough assessment, you can really make that patient experience good for them. But the patient experience isn't just you, it's the whole setup. It's your experience with your website, experience with your staff, reception staff, experience with you, experience with any correspondent. Um, all of those make up that patient experience. You live a quality across all those areas. Then, then the vast majority of patients are going to buy into you. Since you mentioned it, I am curious. Do you all have, have a recommendation on like website styles, certain things that need to be on there? And if you want to bridge that into what maybe one tactic that you use for marketing that has been you know a really good roi over to you tony <laughs> okay so yeah I, I i really enjoy digital marketing um just because of what you can do with it so websites have changed quite a bit over the last 10 years 10 years ago a consumer would go onto google and they would search either for an ailment or for a particular doctor or speciality in an area they would get listings on Google, the first 10 being the most valuable, they would click on them, they would devour the website, they would sit and they would read all of the articles, all of the information, um, they'd gather the information, they'd contrast, they'd compare, they'd discuss it with other people in the family perhaps and they'd make a decision. So a website then was a, a place where someone would spend a huge amount of time and they would really devour that content and want to get as much information as they could from it to help influence a decision. Websites now, if they get traffic, we literally have an attention span of three seconds. Um, if we're not on a social media platform and we can't go there immediately and it doesn't respond as quickly as our social media platform, we're gone and we're somewhere else. So a website now is found through a different method as well. Most of the traffic's being driven from social media platforms. It's not being driven from Google or search engines as much as it was. So people are coming to the website in a very different frame of mind. They're coming there because something's come up on their news feed and it's pushing them towards your website. So they want a really quick look. And it's literally, it's that opportunity for first impression. And it's first impression that has got to spell out exactly the value that your practice has to deliver, which is going to be different for all of us. But it has to scream that really clear, really quickly, and give them some very quick and easy things to do. And I would say now, if you can't book online in less than three clicks, you're losing patience on your website. I think it's changed that much. That's strong. So, well, that's what, for my clinic, that's what the website does. And we get online bookings. We probably get seven online bookings a day of new patients through through that, that medium. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because it's incredibly easy to do. It just drives new patients. Um, we 
we go where there is no friction as human beings. That's what we do. We take the easy option. Um, we do want to do things, but we don't want to pick up a telephone and speak to someone anymore if we can help it. Actually having the labor of having a conversation with a strange person for a lot of people is, is a friction and a barrier. Removing all of these frictions really does bring a huge number of patients across to you, which is particularly if you're searching for your awesome patients, as Jonathan calls them, remove all of the friction and go after that market that you particularly want. And it's, it's, it's a recipe for success. Who do you use or what company does you does your online booking? Yeah, yeah. So we link it through. We have a clinical note system with um, Clinico is the company that we use. And that integrates with Facebook and it also has online booking facility as well, which is really slick. That's convenient. Really fast. So people can book an appointment without leaving the Facebook app. Um, so we do a what? Yeah, we do we do a huge amount of um, marketing through Facebook and Instagram. But social media is, is really strong for us. So you get people who don't even touch your website who who book an online appointment. Would you recommend? I mean, Facebook has so many options. It's available like Canvas ads that do the full screen, which I've never played around mm-hmm. with because I don't really. I'm in China, so I don't really have a private practice right now. It's not my job to re- recruit patients. Um, but like the, for the podcast, you know, there's so many pictures and all these different things on the on a Facebook page. Are there something we should look to optimize on Facebook so potential patients and clients can be like, yes, this is what sold me to come yeah, in? Yeah, so what, we, we do a number of things. So we have um, a whole load of branded media, which we have some really pretty images, which um, speak to people's particular pain points. We have um, humorous infographics and we have nice looking pictures. And then we have the real stuff behind the scenes and we have a series of videos. Now video is where it is. Video just gets a phenomenal return. Um, Having a tour of the clinic, having me talking to camera about what we do, what we're passionate about. Those videos have a, a brilliant return and they run on a promoted advert to a specific audience for a period of time, and they bring they bring magnificent results. Find with any of our marketing activities, it's about everything seems to follow a normal distribution curve. So when people receive a message for the first time, they tend to not respond, except a few early adopters to, to stuff. The kind of people who queue for iPhones at two a.m. when the new iPhone comes out. So you know those people who just want something brand new at the time. They're the the ones who will respond to the first advert. But most of the normal population, they need to get an advert six, seven, eight, nine times before they respond to it, even if they're in need of that service. So we push our Facebook adverts at relatively small audience that's really relevant to us. And we run it for a number of weeks, perhaps six or seven weeks running continuously. And then we'll switch the audience to another niche audience with the same advert. And we find that to be a really successful campaign. I like that. And it's mostly video advertising that's really bringing them in. Yeah, well, we do. There's a few things. So what makes for us, my my belief, the Facebook algorithms are closely guarded, aren't they? But what I, from the experiments we've run, what I find really successful is by having regular posts, regular content on the Facebook page, different types of content, sometimes a lot of text, sometimes a little images, videos, lots of engagement from our organic followers. So stuff that will make them laugh, stuff that will make them comment, stuff that will make them have an emotional response to it and stuff that they will share. 
Um, once we've had a period of time of lots of engagements on the page organically, we then find if we do a boosted campaign or an advertising campaign that it kind of magnifies the, the result from doing that. So we have someone in the practice who it's, it's probably half a full-time job of of producing media for social media, um, responding to messages and making sure that, that page is really charged all of the time. So there's lots of activity, there's lots of engagement. And then when we do do our advertising, it, it brings really good results for us. I heard delegation as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is one thing I picked up. Delegate doctors. You don't have to be doing this yourself. Absolutely. Treat patients. That's where you make your money. How can a doctor do... Everybody's talking about live videos. Yes. I mean, I do... Snapchat, not Snapchat, but like it was just those 30 second things on Instagram yeah. and, you know, try to do live. I've done some cooking shows and just just random stuff. It's like what what will get people engaged? Yeah, you know, apps. what do you recommend? And, and our podiatrists, is it weird? I mean, I don't know about a live feed of a surgery, even if you got your patient's approval. But uh, are there certain assessments or like what would you recommend to a, a practicing doctor? Do you know what I recommend is people always say that. Once they get patients in front of them, they always come back because they get to trust them and, and understand their knowledge. So I say to people, just pick up your phone, put it in front of you. Imagine you're talking to a patient who's turned up with a corn. Explain what a corn is, how it's formed, what the options are for treating it, and how you can stop it from coming back. And then suddenly you're going to have hundreds, even thousands of people having the experience they would get if they came, came to see you. And just pick the things that bore us to death, the stuff we see 20 of a day, that's exciting to someone out there in the, the, the normal world who doesn't come across it. And it's stuff that we know, we know it cold. You're not going to stutter talking about something that you, you give a speech 10 times a day on. And that's that's the thing to go out and push. I heard someone say, especially exactly what you're talking about, if you have an interesting case or if you, like you said, the, the boring stuff to us, start jotting that down in like a little notebook. And now you've got 15 lives or 15 podcast episodes or, you know, whatever, you know, YouTube videos that you can talk to about real quick, especially like the fun cases, because then you, you'll be pat, you'll be super passionate about yeah. it and uh, they'll, they'll see your personality. Absolutely. Very good. What's a couple of ways that you are personally attracting doctors to sign up with y'all services? So Jonathan does a huge amount to get people on to work smarter, not harder. Um, I'll let Jonathan speak about that because he's really good at it. It's the flip coin of marketing <laughs> yeah, right yeah. there. Like, what are y'all are trying? How do y'all do it? Yeah. So, so for the work smarter, not harder courses, it's very much just showing people that other other way to other approach to their private practices. Um, we we fortunate within the UK. There's um, a, a Facebook forum called UK Podiatry with some spin off groups from that. One of which is a business group. And um, and uh, very much I'm engaged within that. Any discussions come up about, around business, then I, I tend to get involved in those discussions, um, particularly when people are talking about fees or time or all those blocks that we talked about earlier. Um, and, and I just say that basically there's another way to look at this. There are other ways you can approach this. And um, uh, and, and then and then you're just giving that information. And then and then they see uh, advert that Tony puts out for the work smarter, not harder course they see that, that that Tony and I are delivering that course and they go well that's the people I need to engage with so I'm going to book on the course I was reading something the other day that's exactly what they were recommending getting involved with groups yeah. don't be pushy yeah. but just be an active member yeah Absolutely. I mean 
when, when it comes to, to patients, a, a classic example was um, there's a, a, a plantar fasciitis UK form. So plantar fasciitis is a heel pain condition. Um, and there's something like 5,000 members of it in the UK on, and on Facebook. And, they, um, and, I, and I made it a, a New Year's resolution that I was going to tie up all these sufferers with good podiatrists in the UK. Uh, and it went a bit crazy at the beginning of the new year, where, where I um, where I started to post thread around the process. Got to the point, and, and yeah. that was just just from being involved in the group, saying, "Look, I'll, I'll try and help you if I can. I'll just tie you up with people." So just giving them something to help them, basically. That's a tall order. <laughs> yeah, it had its repercussions. They <laughs> <laughs> did. My goodness, I mean, that's the biggest request we have in some of our chiropractic groups. Who do you know in? And you're like, well, what kind of doctor are you looking for? Because otherwise, I'm not just sure who you who you would, your patients going to jive yeah, with. Yeah. So we have all these directories to try to find. It's it's tough. I know the uh, the moderators they always get upset. Would y'all just use the map? <laughs> 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 Who's been influential uh, in your philosophy in your business practices and, and how you formed? what you formed. Um, I, I'm going to go first to Tony because Tony very much has for me from being that, that podiatrist who had done it his own way, come up with his own own method of dealing with patients and, and developing that. And that had come very much internally for me was, was then to, to come across Tony as a, as this, um, a businessman who come into podiatry from a business background and learning about systemization from him. So it's so a very much for me, Tony's been really influential. That's really candy to say, Jonathan. I'm quite taken aback. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think my influences in in kind of running a business have come from a diverse number of people, really, because I've always actively sought out lots of mentors um, and lots of examples of other people and asked to go into other people's businesses to shadow, to watch and to learn. And I've always selected people as well, not necessarily of businesses that I want to emulate, but also business models that I would like to avoid. And I've tried to go spend some time to understand why they end up like that. Um, and and I certainly when I was younger, I used to do it much more, spend quite a bit of time in people's businesses, um, spend time around people and watch their style of um, their style of management, their style of how they innovate, of how they systemize their business, how they market, and and try and understand those common things that link the the things I wanted to achieve with businesses so so it really for me it's been a, a large number of people um who've influenced it but I've always had kind of when you think about some of the celebrity business owners the people who've had a belief in something a, an unshakable belief on gone out and, and pursued, pursued it they've always genuinely inspired me um watching people who make those decisions that a belief in a determinable future they call it um, they just inspire me because they, they create the future I remember um, Elon Musk saying that we're going to go to Mars and I was like really? we're going to go to Mars? and then I saw rocket land vertically and I was like we're going to Mars <laughs> it's, you know, those, those people who have that unshakable belief in a future they, they're the biggest inspiration to me. When you see something like that, I'm just thinking to myself, what have you been doing, NASA? <laughs> <laughs> what, 
<laughs> like you've had so many b- b- billions of dollars. Like, I don't understand what you're doing. You know, what I just gathered from what you said was if you can see a celebrity, Richard Branson, Elon Musk, somebody like that, read their biography, learn something about these people. And I've also heard, especially when you're younger, this is something I did, go and shadow a variety of types of doctors, at least the ones that you, you know, the, the you know, podiatrists or whatever, and pick up things that you like and learn some things that you don't like. Obviously, as a student, it's going to be a little bit different than when you're out in the real world, but that's a huge, um, I think it really lowered some of my curve yeah. because if you don't know anything, you're going to walk into a clinic, have your own clinic, private practice, and be like, ugh, <laughs> how big were these rooms supposed to be? Because I might have mismeasured, yeah. you know? You don't even know the basics. And it's one of the one of the problems with the, the career progression within podiatry in the UK is that they come out of, uh, of their training after three years with, with the core basic skill set. Um, and then then they can just go into private practice. And unless they engage with others from that date forwards, then they'll just get stuck in that rut. Yeah. Are there a lot of uh, people that do your job or are y'all kind of like a unicorn in the profession in, in terms of kind of um helping people run their businesses and and give them, there's there's not there's not yeah. there's not many at all doing it there's there's a handful isn't there jonathan i think of yeah. people who yeah who offers kind of services um and we're all yeah. pretty close anyway we know we know kind of what what yeah. each other's doing well, and stuff yeah i enjoy there's certain professions i've been trying to find guests like yourselves and I'm like, are there not? Like, how is it? Why is this so difficult? A Google search, a Facebook search is like, man, this is really hard to find a company that's like trying to booster the the, the profession. It's like usually there's always somebody who's been doing it for 30 years and is like, hey, you know what? I can give back a little yeah. bit and well, I'm going to charge them. But it, it's a it's a passion and it's a pet project whenever they're older. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it is a passion. Absolutely. And we've said, Tony and I have said before, we would give give the knowledge for free quite happily, but then people don't value the knowledge they're given. Yeah. So therefore, there has to be a charge associated with it, because otherwise they just go, it was free. It's not worth it. And as part of the message is about worth and value, then we have to have a charge associated with it. Let's switch gears. I gave you some of the questions ahead yeah. of time. So let's, if you don't mind, let's, let's get, just get a little personal, make you guys like real life people for a few <laughs> minutes. We, we ready yeah, for yeah. that? All right. Vacation. I'm a believer. You got to recharge. <laughs> How do you do that in the podiatry profession? So I, I've always holidayed lots. It's, it's been part of me. I've always enjoyed family time, making sure I holiday. I come across Tony, who who, who was a workaholic through and through, who wasn't wasn't taking time out. And I have been on at him since I met him to spend more time with his family. And this year, he's actually doing more holidays, aren't you, Tony? I am a bit of a good boy. I am. Um, I did a six-year stretch with no holiday at all, um, and we're, we're just still. That's unheard of in your country, I think. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I would just keep going. Um, genuinely, um, my wife despairs. Um, but yeah, I would genuinely just just keep working. Um, because I love what I do. If I didn't love what I did, I'd change it. Um, so I, I love holidays. I like holidays with my kids, but they always turn out to be quite intense anyway but i've been good this year jonathan i've had, how many holidays have i had i've had um i've had two holidays already i'm going away again next week and probably gonna have another couple later on in the year so that's gonna be six holidays yeah in that's year. awesome yeah, so, you know. <laughs> except for the six years <laughs> abstinence <laughs> it does it does <laughs> one of my buddies he 
he was kind of like that. You know, you take your mandatory holidays and that extra day, you know, a couple of three day weekends. And then one year, I think he got married and then he had the honeymoon and then he did another trip. And I was like, man, he goes, yeah, that was too many, too many holidays in one, in one city. And he's like, I got to, I got to scale it back. It affected business. <laughs> I think one yeah. of the things is because, because we're in a, a, in a giving profession and with, within the profession, Tony and I are, are very much givers. We want to help people. We want to, want to see them achieve their potential, whether that's as a patient or as a, a, a fellow podiatrist. Yeah. Is that actually, we forget to actually do something for ourselves within that yeah and i think that's where the holidays come in because actually you you step back from giving to everybody else and you say i'm actually going to do something for myself within this now whatever that is well we're going to find out right now i see a telescope in behind yeah. you jonathan that's probably like most telescopes they're just looking around they just yeah. look good they look good they don't actually <laughs> no, do anything it's, it's, but it's not pointing at the sky is it <laughs> my ear, yeah <laughs> no, I, 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 it was a, 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 for my son just to explore astronomy, but that's not. I'm not into astronomy. I, I my uh, my hobbies are. Um, I do dragon boat racing, which obviously if this is going out China, then yeah, you're back. So you China boat uh, race? Uh, yeah, no, um, dragon boat race. Oh, dragon, dragon boat, boat race. Close. Yeah, which is big in China, isn't it? Yeah. I've never seen it, but that's because I live in a small town. But I, in Houston, Texas, yeah. they had a festival, so I can only assume that it's actually a thing somewheres in China. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I do that, and I'm into my uh, my winter sports. I like uh, skiing, snowboarding, uh, and any any adventure things that I can do with my son. Um, so canyoning, we do, um, and we're just looking. At, are we going away this week? We're looking doing some caving. So uh, so anything adventure like that. Look at you. Yeah. That's adventurous. And, I, and in um, in November, I went for a little walk with the flag that Tony gave me. Um, the flag was Pod's six feet flag, and we took it up to every space camp just for Tony. <laughs> <laughs> just take a picture of it. Absolutely brilliant marketing, fantastic. <laughs> Anything for you? What do you do for fun? Well, you just work. I, I so. just work. But you have kids. Yeah, I've got a young young kids, so I've got um, uh, Robin's two years old, and uh, Sam's nearly eight. So. So they're, they're, they're pretty full on and intense. And if I'm, if I'm not in work, it's, it's definitely time with them, really, which is, which is brilliant and demanding. Are you able to juggle your schedule to go and watch the proverbial soccer game or whatever they're into? Yeah, yeah. So um, my, my wife, um, she works in Osgo with me. She's a director and she's also a director of the clinic. She's not a clinician by background. So, so we're together all of the time we work together unless I'm traveling um, and we get as much flexibility as we can so that we um, I'm around the kids as much as possible. So um, wherever possible, I'm there for morning drop offs, um, evening pickups from school, then the after school clubs with Sam, it's the piano, it's jujitsu on a Saturday morning and swimming classes. And so we, we play like tag teams, throwing one kid to the other and one will take one to a class and the other will be looking after the other. So there's no real set routine, but we just, we, we haven't left any of them anywhere yet. So we'll, we'll keep going with how we're working. <laughs> yes, yeah. Myself included. And I know other people, they have kind of the mother, not the mother, <laughs> the husband, wife duo team for people who are like, Oh my gosh, how do you do with that? Is there a tip or is there like, you're not like you're having a knee to knee 
heart to heart conversation all day. Like she's doing her job, you're doing your job. Is there any tips for people who have that or are interested in that type of setup? Yeah, working I think, together. You I mean, think pick, you, pick your you wife. Working well. together, Justin. <laughs> yeah, okay, working together. Yeah. yeah, like you're in the same <laughs> office or whatever. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure I'd follow Tony's example, but go, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, so so like I say, we we work together constantly. So we work together, we're at home together. Um, we're so very different in personality and skill sets. I think that's the secret to how it works for us. So when we come together, we can do brilliant things because we seem to bring out the best in each other. We also have developed a tolerance and an acceptance for each other's personality traits, which is, is best managed in an environment full of other people in the office. So it tempts our responses, I think, is probably another um, another way that we deal with it. But, you know, we're passionate about what we're doing. Um, it's um, starting up a, a business like Osgo as a, you know, it is a new startup company. It's only been going two and a half years. It's really ambitious. It's something we're both passionate about. And, and that covers up a whole load of problems you could potentially have when you're genuinely passionate about what you're doing. Um, because it's it's having a massive impact. It's been an incredible journey for us both. And, you know, it's a ride that we want to share and enjoy together because that's what it's about. That's that's all it's about, isn't it, really? Have we plugged your specific portion of the of the company enough? <laughs> it feels like never enough. Never enough. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm, I'm real. Uh, people don't just get on podcasts usually just because they have nothing. Um, but, it, but Osgo, I mean, honestly, though, if you feel like take a minute or two if we haven't really covered what it is that you particularly are bringing more to the table because it looked like different than, than just the practice management Yeah, stuff. yeah, it is. So I, I set up Osgo. I had the idea for Osgo about five years ago, and it was a couple of years in its development before it launched. And the whole idea of it was that as a, we're a relatively small profession and in private practice, we were all very kind of separate and we were treated as individual small business owners, which to me didn't make a huge amount of sense. I'd created a large successful practice and I wanted to take some of the value from that and share it amongst the profession. So the concept came about that we could create a membership organization where we could get some group buying power to get some good deals. Yes. We could get some good deals on all of our commercial services. We could make some of the service providers create services and products that fits our unique profession exactly, the things that we need. We could also right. add into the membership a whole load of CPD, a load of education that's clinical, that's business education, deliver it on a digital platform so that you could devour it on your smartphone she didn't have to go and attend courses and also all the policies and procedures for running a practice we could put that all in the membership platform as well so everything from health and safety complaints procedures customer service manuals all the regulatory stuff you need in terms of policy format is all there ready to go so that was that was the concept of what it was the real exciting part, though, came in being able to influence what private practice was doing and showing them um, some of the things we can do with ambition, some of the things we can do with social media marketing, producing a whole load of collateral that they can share to promote our profession. Um, that's that's caused massive engagement and seems to have had a, a large impact on what people are doing with the uh, 
their social media activities. So, so it's turned into this really a much bigger organization, much more quickly than we could ever have hoped it, it would do based upon its, its engagements and just the sheer value that sits within the membership. Really, it's, um, it covers so many things to so many different people and each person is a member for a different set of reasons and we just look to keep adding as much value in our, our tagline is um we take the pain out of private practice but you asked me right at the beginning i think before we started recording um what does osgo stand for and it's actually an abbreviation of osgood schlatters which is growing pains um and we aim to take the growing pains out of private practice so there's a million ways that we can do that. And, and that's what Oscar will continue to do is to just make it, make things a better deal for the practitioner. We got to mention the mugs. Two things, one. <laughs> the mugs. The mugs. <laughs> so <laughs> bear with me one second. <laughs> okay. so, so you know how the Rubik's Cube craze takes over and the yo-yo craze takes over. We have, we have Osgo mug craze takes over podiatry. Oh it's no! Probably good to pick up an Osgo mug. <laughs> so when you said mug, you actually yeah, meant I a meant mug. Mugs. I was like, mm, yes. There we go. There we go. So this uh, limited edition. This all started with. Um, let's lift this up. We produced this. Um, I like the dietary mug, <laughs> which we had a few made. Okay. And we sent them out to a few of our members as a gift, and they put them on the Facebook group saying, "Look what I got." Um, and then everyone else started saying, I want one, I want one. So we, we started to make some um, some more. We did the I banish foot pain um, with the different emojis on there promoting Osgo. And we started to create more and more mugs and just send them randomly to members for no reason. And then it kind of created this whole, I've been a member for nine months and I've never had a mug. And it turned into this massive online title. Uh-oh. <laughs> which actually just meant that everyone was really talking about Osco, which was really quite exciting. <laughs> so we now, we churn out probably about 50 mugs a week to our members. And, and not all of our members have a mug yet. We will get round to them all at some point. Um, and we release different edition ones all the time. And when we do education events, like we do our Osco live event, so you can see... Um, we do, we do the kind of different ones that are a bit of fun and commemorative moves for people as well. Um, but, yeah, it's emotional connection, isn't it? Emotional connection. Dude, that's great. I'm really special. My brain's blowing up right now. <laughs> you know, I would make mugs, but they weren't as cute as yours. It was for, like, patients. It was, you know, a straight-up branded mug. It's like, thanks for being a patient. Yeah. <laughs> they loved yeah. it. It's a great $3 or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you can introduce an emotional element to it as well, it just it just makes it even more valuable. It really does. Something that will make them laugh or something they will absolutely adore. Um, it becomes priceless. Then it really does. And they actually look good. They weren't they weren't like uh, they they good fonts. They're printed nicely. Just because you know it's a, it's an audio podcast. It's something you look at and you say this is cute. It's fun. I would drink from it. And the fact that you give them away randomly, I think people get all excited and would definitely be like, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. And the second we put a price ticket on one, then it's over, isn't it? So they'll never be for sale. They can't be. <laughs> you know, I saw your website and I just wanted people to know it's laid out. Well, like you have on the very bottom in the footer, there's, there's you're like, holy cow, this, this guy does a lot of stuff. 
what, what do I click next? But when you open the website, you're not bombarded with overkill. You, you know, you you have a, a message, a singularity message that you portray, and then you can go dig deeper if you want to, which is good because all the stuff you just said, I was like, wow, that, that could be a very complicated system to, to keep together and, and a lot of hats that you're having yeah, to juggle. Yeah. So. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to do. It is. It is. But yeah, but it's important. Yeah. I really wish chiropractors would do that because we have, and maybe we do, because we have companies that um, we typically buy all of our stuff yep. from. But again, we're like individual clinics. Like I can only buy so much foot cream or, uh, you know, muscle joint pain cream. But these other companies like yourself, as, as what it sounds like to me, you know, you can buy crates and crates of this stuff and then just pass on that savings to us so that we're not having to pay twice the price. That's smart. It's a great, great model. Job. Really good. All right, last couple of questions. Like last two, these are just fun. Do you have like a morning routine or a lunch routine that gets you excited for the rest of the day? It's very popular right now. So I um uh, I moved away from my clinic about ten years ago. So I actually have a hour and a quarter commute to my clinic. Um, that seems uh crazy within podiatry. Not many people seem to do it, but I find that. I Sounds find hard. that's brilliant because half an hour spent taking my son to school. So I have a good quality time with him before dropping him off. And then I've got three quarters of an hour of my own time, an hour of my own time, just sat in the car, listening to music, listening to news, whatever I want. Yeah. And I'm not engaging with lots of people. It's just me. Um, and, and that seems to just get me into the mood then to go and, and, uh, and sort patients out, sort out the problems. Perfect. Yeah. So, so my morning routine is, absolute chaos for the first hour of the two children um <laughs> dressed and off to school um and nursery for the for the little one and then uh, my wife and i will drive into work together and um usually not speak to each other on the short drive in as we listen to the radio then we'll get into work and we'll try and do our creative stuff before the emails get opened before the world comes and attacks us and clouds our brain so we try and have a bit of a routine with that of getting the creative stuff done first um, or the stuff that we absolutely want to achieve before before we let the world come and bite us, really. That's huge. Sounds like you must have uh, read some books or heard some wisdom from somebody because that's, that's hard to do. Like We just want to dive right in and, and get the gate day going. But if you don't brainstorm, you don't do, have the creative part. They say things just go yeah, to the wayside. Yeah, and I think a lot of people advocate this approach, and it's it's true. The second you fire up your PC, if you open your Outlook and you open your social media channels, they'll get you. They'll get your thought processes. They'll be taking some of your bandwidth. Um, and I think to keep yourself away from that as much as possible, you know, it's only a short window of opportunity you have before the world comes and gets you. But it's a good opportunity to do the, some of the stuff that you want to, particularly if it's creative stuff or pro- producing something. Last question. Feel free, carte blanc, as they say. Any favorite phone apps, podcasts, books that you guys love secretly and something that you like everybody should definitely check out? <laughs> um, I, I don't I do not do a lot of um, uh, podcast or, or blog reading and whatever, but I, I, I do enjoy I'm a bit of a, a closet maths geek. Um, and I, I, I've got a, a bit of a passion for a chap called Marcus de Sotoy, which is like the Brian Cox of maths. And uh, and so I, I listen to his stuff when he when he puts new stuff out, um, just uh, just to engage my uh, my intellect a bit. And for me, it's audiobooks. 
um, I devour a huge number of books. Usually, um, I, I I go out for um, for a short run um, quite often in the evenings, or if I'm in the kitchen cleaning up, I'll have an audio book playing. And I really like to. I know, there's a number of different books. I listen to a number of business books, but I also like to listen to biographies of um, politicians and business leaders. I, I find other people's life stories fascinating. Um, particularly people who've had a massive impact on the world. I, I find their stories fascinating and, and I really enjoy doing that. Like Meghan Markle? Yeah. <laughs> She's had an impact <laughs> on the world. So the time of recording, they just got married yeah. uh, a day and a half yeah, ago or yeah. something? Yeah. Pop culture reference for everybody. So was, 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 that, was that kind of global media then, was it? I'm sure it was. You know, I don't think I saw anything on China about it. The the shootings in America that's been all over okay. the news, the 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 prince getting married, can't say that I saw. I don't honestly, I don't think I've seen anything at all except for like you know me being actually on the computer and watching yeah. things. Okay, I didn't even. Yeah, it's interesting what they what people choose to put on the news. Yeah. Do y'all care yeah. about like the royal wedding? Is that a thing in, in this country? Yeah, it's, it is big. You know, it, a, a lot of people took the time out to to watch it on on Saturday. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think I think pretty much everyone in the UK has seen seen some footage of it. They've all seen the dress. We've all um, heard about the um, the preacher who was there, who was a bit of a character. So we kind of hear the stories, don't we? <laughs> I I didn't watch it, but it's found me because it, it just does over here. Yeah. Okay, I was just curious because you know you hear you read different things and they're it's always like wait. Why don't we just ask somebody from the source? We'll have two people of the entire country. <laughs> if you don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a lot of wasted time. But anyway, that's just me. Well, how can people get in touch with both of you? And if you have any parting words. Um, so, so easiest is through, uh, through Tony, through Osgo, to, uh, to get a hold of anything to do with Work Smart Not Hard. Although they'll find me on forums. Um, you know, I'm I'm on Facebook a, an awful lot, so uh, so I'm quite easy to to interact with on there. Um, but you really uh, through Osgo is probably the easiest easiest way. Yeah, yeah. getting me on on Facebook is really easy. Um, I seem to spend a far too much of my time there. Um, so my name's Tony Gavin, and I'm I'm findable on Facebook or through the Osgo Facebook channel. That's O S G O for Osgo. There's no Z in it. Um, yeah, so so really, um, what's the website? Um, is osgo.co.uk just osgo.co.uk? Yeah, and everything will be in the show notes. So if you're at the gym working out, it'll just be right there. You can go to the, the show notes page on the website, all the links, things they talked about will make it really pretty for everybody. Fantastic. People ask a good bit how do you monetize a podcast? Well, if you have a big enough audience, you can just get advertisers and they just pay you a fee. Other times, you got to get a little creative, like with affiliates. So you recommend a product and then you get a commission. But hopefully you actually enjoy the product that you're recommending. And in this case, I do. So a doctorsperspective.net slash resources, you'll have all this stuff like Blueberry for the hosting. That's what I use. Set for set. They've got these wild steel maces. Well, I don't use that. They do have these power bands and they're great for stretching and mobilizing joints that definitely are locked up mentor box get a book listen to it by the author summarizing the book but also things that they learned since they wrote it as well as a workbook to help you out we got primal doc as a coupon code for primal health bone broth it's paleo 
autoimmune diet based. You got no sugar, no soy, no no allergies, no gluten, no dairy. And you can save 10% off with the promo dot code. You got Russell Brunson and ClickFunnels. If you ever wanted dot com secrets or expert secrets, if you click that link and get the book at a good price, as well as help me out. And then underneath that, Amazon, anything that the guests recommend, if you see a hot link, a blue link in the show notes, if you click those and buy one of their books or one of the products, I'll get a little piece of that. And I appreciate it. We have got new t-shirts. We've got a Louisiana theme. It's my home state, so I'm kind of fond of it. We've got a Make Lemon Out of Lemonades t-shirt. And of course, some chiropractic shirts that are uh, tongue-in-cheek, but hopefully you guys like them and gals. Also, if you're into lessons learned in China, my first book, uh, exercises, stretches to help with numbness, budgeting, all that type of thing. You can try four chapters free, doctorperspective.net slash chapters. Also, acupuncture. If you like no needle acupuncture, if you like that idea, if you always wanted to try it, but you don't have one nearby or you just don't have two hours a day to go, you know, commuting and getting the treatment and everything, there's something you can do at your house, 30 minutes for a little over a week and you can see results. Now, doctorsperspective.net slash in a protocol, as in needless acupuncture. So in a protocol, and you get four chapters for free. These complete with the words and the pictures and how to do it, how, when you should do it, all those types of questions. Anxiety, insomnia, back pain, headaches. So check that out. You'll be forwarded to a page uh, with a video. And all you got to do is put your email in. And if you don't like the upsell after that, just scroll to the bottom, click no, and then you'll get to the next page. It's where you can actually download them. Also, if you've looked at doing an acupuncture pin, it's kind of like a TENS unit you would use for your muscles, but it's been modified for stimulating acupuncture points run off of a 9-volt battery. You can go to doctorsperspective.net slash ePIN, and you can buy that on the website as well. Thank you all so much for checking out all these resources. And if you have any questions, please let me know. Uh, rank us five stars. Leave a review. Greatly appreciated. As always, if you have any special guests that you would love to hear or a series that you would like, reach out on the top right of the website. You have all the social media icons. Just click the one that's your favorite and connect. We just went hashtag behind the curtain and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoptersperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.